Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Film Roundtable. Uh, my name is Erin, and I'm one of the co-founders of Film Roundtable. And um, today is the 30th of January, 2021. Um, my guest today is my dear friend, Ben Saracen, cinematographer extraordinaire. Um, some of his past films are Unstoppable with Tony Scott, World War Z with Mark Forrester. Uh, most recently, he did Godzilla vs. Kong, which is now out in the virtual theaters, depending on where you are at. And then he has a film coming out that he did with Doug Lyman, I think, right? Called Chaos Walking that I think is coming out in the spring. So, yeah, so let's, let's welcome Ben with a uh, virtual applause. <laughs> and um, before we get into it, I'm just going to do our moment of silence um, where we want to honor all of the people who have died uh, from COVID in this past year. So right now, as of today, our worldwide total is 2,218,394, which is up 100,000 in just one week since I last did my last, since we did our last round table last week. Um, and in the US, it's 437,000, which is 20,000 up from a week ago. Um, we'd also like to honor all of our black and brown brothers and sisters whose lives have been lost by the hands of police brutality and other random acts of violence, as well as our First Nations brothers and sisters. So let's just take a moment. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Um, this is something we started as, right when we launched this platform. And we find it's very important to, to take that time um, and also just stay diligent to be safe, caring for your loved ones, those in your community, keeping in mind that this virus is still real and it is still in full swing. So be safe. Um, but now we'll get into our convo with Ben. Um, super happy to have you here, Ben. It's really nice. nice yeah. Um, so Ben, tell us where you are right now in the world and what you're doing. Um, well, um, I just wanted to say that's such an important way to start, um, the conversation. I think, you know, in the context of an industry that, you know, we, we are all fortunate to work in, but is ultimately based on entertainment. I think it's great to acknowledge, you know, the bigger issues that are going on in the world. So thank you for that. Mm. Um, I'm, uh, I'm in New Zealand at the moment. I've uh, just, I came here two weeks ago and I've been in quarantine. Um, the, the New Zealand government mandates a pretty strict quarantine, which is uh, enforced by everyone coming into the country uh, is required to stay in a hotel. Um, it's a government uh, run 
uh, process and you stay in a hotel for two weeks uh, and it's non-negotiable. It's the only way you come into the country. So I've been here two weeks. I get out tomorrow, which will be mm. very nice. Um, mm -hmm. And we'll, you know, see a small part of the world that, that seems to be managing um, uh, in the midst of this crisis. So I feel very privileged and fortunate to be in that position. Um, yeah, and I'm, I have family here, so I'll, uh, I'll be out tomorrow and I'll, I'll be going down to see my mother who lives nearby and spending a bit of time with her. Nice. Yeah, it's such a beautiful country and they seem to have figured out how to keep this a little bit under control. So Yeah, it seems so. so they, I mean, it's, you know, geographically, obviously, it's in a very good position. Um, mm -hmm. And... You know, I think uh, it's interesting being here because th there are other benefits apart, you know, from the obvious isolation. Um, you know, I think generally people here tend to be compliant and, and are able to look at the, the issues and, and act as a community to, to mitigate um, things. So it's, it's, yeah, it's good to see. It's, it's, it's nice to see a sort of, a place that's sort of, you know, managing with some uh, fortunate aspects to, to, to contain the situation. Nice. Um, so I wanted to, I don't want to spend too much time on how you got started, but it might be nice uh, for listeners to know how a young man in New Zealand got, got going in the, in the film business. Yeah, well, um, I <laughs> I started out wanting to act. Actually, um, mm. I that was that was my introduction. Um, I have a half brother who's also a cinematographer, um, but I didn't. I, although I was very aware of him and his work, I didn't meet him till I was sixteen. Um, oh wow! And. Uh, it, so he was really a figure that that didn't represent um, someone that was, you know, obviously someone to follow the steps in, but I, I, what I did become really interested in in high school was acting. In fact, just prior to high school, I auditioned for um, a big television show that was shooting um, in New Zealand and in the Pacific Islands. I was about 12. And I remember um, that process it was quite complex and I'd had no I had no no training and no experience of acting at all, but became you know incredibly excited about the prospect um, of the possibility of being in this show. So I I trained as hard as I knew how, which basically consisted of watching and emulating any child actors I I could <laughs> manage to catch up with on on TV and. Um, I auditioned for this this role. Uh, we, not surprisingly, didn't get the part, but um, it was a great uh, taste of what really was a, the beginning of an exploration of, of movies and 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 television, and and fueled my um, excitement. So that 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 was the beginning. I then went on in high school, did a couple of productions, and that that really led me to sort of fascination with with what we do um 
And it was really when I left high school, still with the idea of pursuing acting, that uh, I got involved in, in uh, some production companies in Wellington, uh, where I was living as a kid in New Zealand. And the only possibility of any sort of experience uh, was to just go and work as a, as a production assistant. And I thought that would maybe open up an avenue for, for watching actors and experiencing what their process is. Um, but what happened and what transpired was once I started working uh, really on these television commercials initially, at age of, I guess 18, was I developed a real fascination for what happened behind the camera and, and the people working in that role and, and really realized that what really interested me more or potentially was a path to follow was, was really the construction of the films and how they came together, you know, the overall sort of picture. And that triggered, um, a sort of fork in the road where I, where I, um, I then soon after got offered uh, a, a um, position on a, on a feature film in New Zealand as a, an electrician working with the lighting crew. And that was really the beginning. Once, once that started, I really uh, realised that was the path I wanted to follow. Uh, halfway through that first film, I got the opportunity to leap on board with the camera crew um, We'd, we'd been shooting interiors for the first half of the film. So obviously a lot more uh, or greater requirement on the electrical department. Then we moved into these big, uh, well, really the latter half of the film, shooting all the exteriors and, and the, the camera department needed uh, extra help. And so I, was, I volunteered for the transition and mm. you know, the New Zealand industry being what it was at that point, there was a lot of fluidity. Um, when I look at the, the the crew list of that first movie, there are some pretty uh, influential and big New Zealand names who were all mm. in 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 different minor roles on that film. Mm. It was uh, it was great. It was a great learning process, and um, yeah, it, that that sort of fueled my uh, my my journey. Where was was new? What was happening in New Zealand cinema then? And like on a on a global level. Were, was there any, was the independent scene happening there yet? Or were, were films coming out that were being seen worldwide at that point? Um, up to that, up to this was 1980 and up to that point, mm. um, New Zealand had had, you know, a fairly healthy, but really very much a local industry, um, uh, you know, great, Filmmakers, you know, Lee Tamahori was was just about to start out, and you know there was really it was the early days. Particularly, what was particularly um, of note that period was that it coincided with a very big tax incentive in Australia, 1980. Mm. They they had a phenomenal launched a phenomenal support scheme for Australian films, and what happened was a lot of that. Um, not a lot. There were, there were quite a few films that came over to New Zealand and even though they were Australian productions, were shooting here as a location and, and we benefited um, from those. There was a, an overflow. Um, and that really, uh, 
you know, was was a launch pad. Um, that certainly affected my my journey because I did a couple of films here and then I went on to Australia where the momentum was still high. There were, there were a lot of productions being made. Um, and it was a great time as a real heyday of, of Australian cinema. Um, so that, uh, yeah, I only did two films here and then and went to Australia, moved to Australia. And, and how long did it take you from there to keep migrating west? Um, I stayed in Australia for probably about three years, I think. I kept busy. Um, but, you know, as, as happens in our industry, the more you work, the more you come into contact with other people from around the world, and you, the more you realise uh, there are people that are, are really interesting and, 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 and better. And, and uh, in my case, I really felt an urge to, to go to the UK. I, I started to become aware that, you know, at that stage, you know, a lot of the films I'd really been fascinated with and drawn to um, were originated in the UK. And, and really the level of, you know, craftsmanship and talent over there was just phenomenal. And that's really what, what the driving force for me to move was, to move over mm. there. Um, and I have to say also, you know, at that age, culturally, I was just, I was just sort of really fascinated in extending my boundaries. I, um, you know, growing up in a small town in New Zealand, mm. I'd really been... Uh, curious about what existed outside of my town and and you know by the time i was sort of hit my 20s i was i was ready to leave i really wanted right. to go exploring and 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 exploring within my work and outside of it went hand in hand so i think uh after three years in australia at 22 i got moved to london yeah i think to to migrate from new zealand or Australia West, it takes an adventurous soul, you know, and there, there are definitely lots of them in both those countries, right? That that have that have gone away and come back and gone away. Um, but you know, it's a far way to go, and not everybody has that confidence, you know, to get up and and go halfway around the world to a different place. It's not easy to get home if you miss it, you know, especially back well, I- then. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, I was, I was obviously very lucky and privileged and, you know, God, it was a time when, you know, after this year, travel was, was just so easy. But, I, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the thing for me was I felt really constrained. I think, um, you know, my, my father was Russian and, and grew up in Europe and was, uh, was a sort of interesting character, but very influenced by European culture and, and his upbringing there. And so I grew up with a real awareness of, um, you know, a huge cultural landscape that existed. And also, you know, as a kid, it's, it's hard to appreciate the qualities of somewhere like New Zealand, which, you know, without doubt has as, you know, phenomenal advantages, which, you know, I'm only becoming too aware of yeah. at the moment. Especially but, now. <laughs> exactly. But, at, you know, at that time, it's like, you you know, if you're curious, you're curious. And 
you know, I think this is one of the fascinating things about the industry. That curiosity drives us in all sorts of directions. And at that point, um, that was what was fueling my, my journey was just to, to explore the world and have, you know, explore what it was like to, to be out of my comfort zone. I think that's, mm -hmm. that's probably a huge motivating thing with me is I, I feel, and this relates to work as well, I sort of feel a, a, a drive to always, whenever I get comfortable, I, I feel like it's time to sort of take mm. another step forward. I'm, I'm not someone that's comfortable with being comfortable, if that makes mm. sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think also when it's interesting because when you're trying to discover if you're wanting to be outside of your comfort zone or to push yourself at that, usually at that age, you don't necessarily know that's what you're doing. Um, instead, you're kind of like, something doesn't feel right. I, let me go here. Let me, you know, you, it's like a different sort of drive. Um, you don't necessarily have the, the, like the inner knowledge to know at that point, you know, at those points or stages in life, like what, what it actually all means, you know, it kind of more comes into clarity as you get older, you know, if, if you're lucky, <laughs> but, uh, but it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I think you're right. And I think it can be, you know, an amalgamation of two things. I mean, you know, there's, there's certainly aspects of having itchy feet and always wanting to move that may not necessarily be conducive to a sort of a, a solid, you know, foundation or trage trajectory. So you, you, it's a mix of two things. This sort of thing that that um, informs a sort of uh, curiosity is can also be something that works against a sort of a stable foundation. And I think the the balance, the key is to, you know, find a balance. And you know, mm -hmm. in our industry as well, like and and in life, you know, it's it's always finding this sort of uh, point where you're in in the right place where both things are contributing to your your journey mm. well i think it's i think we both know well that this film the film business definitely attracts gypsies you know for sure um they're they're you know one of the reasons i'm not doing it anymore is you know just wanting to be more still but it definitely attracts a um you know, a band of, a band of gypsies for sure, uh, yeah. which is, which is very interesting. Um, so when did you shoot your first project? Like, was that when you got to the UK? Was it, had you been fooling around with it in Australia? Um, yeah, I shot my first movie in the UK. Um, and so just to give you a little history when i very briefly when i arrived in london um it was very very difficult to break into the industry um the the, the unions were very restrictive about uh new, new people joining um <laughs> oh, the hotel little, uh, an interlude <laughs> we get announcements over the uh over the loudspeaker quarantine announcements when they let yeah, you outside exactly. to exercise well when they used to let you outside to right exercise. oh right 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 <laughs> yeah since there's been an outbreak recently so it's become a little more draconian right um 
Uh, sorry, no, what I was saying is uh, the, um, yeah, it was very difficult. So I, I arrived in, in London and I couldn't really work. Um, the, the rule with the union was you needed to get, have a certain number of days on a union job to qualify for your union ticket, but to work on a union job, you needed to have a union ticket. And that was basically how it worked. So I arrived in London, sort of uh, started to investigate how to navigate one's way through this process and this came up against uh, sort of brick walls everywhere. So the, the, the opportunity I had was to work on music videos, which were, were, were non-unionized. Um, so it was great. I was very lucky. I, I managed to meet um, a couple of uh, uh, DPs who were working in music videos and they invited me along and they you know, it was pretty uh, crazy time, but um, I uh, got in with a couple of guys who were busy, and uh, one of one of uh, my assistants, because um, I was working as a as a, an AC, one of my assistants went on down the track to become um, a director, Mike Barker, and he, uh, I ended up doing his first film, which was uh, my first movie as well. Oh wow! Um, James Gang, yeah. So that what was, was it called? Movie, The James Gang. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it was an interesting experience for both of us. Uh, I can safely say we both learned a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we shot anamorphic, and uh, in Wales in the winter, where wow. daytime lasted about an hour and a half, and <laughs> uh, we had no budget for light, so it, it was a dark uh, film. <laughs> and it was it was um it was in an era where where people weren't shooting wide open on anamorphic lenses that much mm -hmm. at that point and even though it's it's become the way to work now at that point there were a few raised eyebrows about some of the imagery but <laughs> it, was, it was an experience <laughs> it was yeah, yeah. And so what was what was the first big movie that you did? Like, when did you get your first opportunity to do something with a lot of with some meat to it? Well, I was very fortunate. Um, I moved to L.A. Uh, I think in 2006, I want to say. Um, I've been doing a little bit of second unit on on bigger films, but I got my first break. Um, uh, Derek Wolski was doing Pirates of the Caribbean, the third one, and he had to leave early to start another movie. So uh, he asked if I um, could step in and, and um, replace him for the last month or six weeks of the shoot. And Derek's fantastic. He, um, you know, he just said to go look, I've got to leave. I'm going on to a Tim Burton movie and this is the guy you should use. And Gore was, you know, initially a little um, surprised because I had no credits, no real big movie credits to my name at all. But, um, you know, he was great, supportive, and that, that was a fantastic um, opportunity. And it, it gave me some credibility. Uh, and soon after that, um, I was approached by Michael Bay and asked to do um, one of the Transformers movies. So that was sort of my my stepping stone um, into these big films. And you know, as many of people listening know, will know, um, it's the same as you know 
the union issue I, I experienced in London. You you just you you don't get offered these sort of jobs until you've done one, and you can't get to do one until you know you're offered one. So it's it's sort of this circular closed sort of circle situation. But you know it was great, and and um, you know did did that uh, film with Michael Bay, and that you know started to open the doors to to that sort of genre and that that sort of scale of film mm. and did you do like leading up to that you did some more indie films right were you i mean was yeah. that I, I i initially started with indie films but what really looking at, at the trajectory of my career um once i got to uh LA, I guess by around 2000, I, I was, um, I started doing second unit on these bigger films mm-hmm. and I did a couple mm-hmm. of them. I did, um, worked on the second unit on Terminator 3, I think it was, and uh, uh, a couple of other big films like that. And what went hand in hand with that is I, I went through a few years of not really doing much in in, in the work. Um, I was supplementing those second unit gigs with commercials and so it, it, it just became that that was the direction things went in um but i'd i'd really never lost my my desire to stay connected to 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 that world and it, it wasn't so much the fact that they were small indie productions but more i wanted to stay connected with um with stories you know and and i think that really relates to you know my initial sort of love of actors and performance um you know that's that's really where my my interest in cinema is 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 with these um character driven stories so you know that's that's been something that's that's really stayed in my heart but you know as as the industry works you know once once we tend to work and or start working in one area, one part of the industry, we become obviously known for that. And, you know, while doors open in that area, they they become a little harder to step through in other areas. Mm. So what I started to find that my association with big films was was sort of scaring off indie producers because they were, you know, worried that I would come with, you know, a, a huge sort of, metaphorical and literal price tag in terms of what my requirements would be and equipment and you know would I know how to work quickly would I know how to do small scale stuff and keep Mm. costs under control and you know that's always been a battle and it's understandable I mean um, you know it's 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 the industry has many parallel lines and and you know it's 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 not a given that if you work in one particular part of it, you're able to adapt to another. But okay. I, for me, it's a really important thing. And, you know, even, even now I'm actively trying to engage in, in the smaller um, uh, project, you know, story-based projects. So I just, I think it's great. And we are lucky if we have the opportunity to work in a diverse way um, on a variety of different in a variety of different arenas in the industry. I think that's, that's great, you know, a, a great possibility if we're able to pull it off. 
Well, and I think it's also interesting because the work that um, you've done in commercials, you know, you've shot some of the most beautiful, poignant commercials um, ever done, I think, you know, for sure, that are, are not huge car commercials or the army commercial, you know, they're, you know, really beautiful, like the Converse spot. Um, was it Converse that you did with Brian Belatech? Yeah, yeah, fantastic. I mean, that's yeah. such a beautiful uh, film. I've, I've and you've done so, so many of those. Yeah, I mean, that, listen, I, it's, you, I feel very privileged, you know, working with people like Brian and Frank Budgen and Ring and Ledwidge, Frederick Bond. I mean, these guys are, are, are real storytellers, real filmmakers that work in that part of the industry predominantly. And, you know, great commercials are really small, small, short stories. And, you know, the same, the same things apply, you know, it's, a, it's a great craft and it's a great medium for telling stories of different lengths. So, you know, felt very, and feel very lucky to, to, to be able to work in, you know, in parallel in that part of the industry as well. But, you know, it's interesting. You, you, you realize again, you know, I've, I've worked with, like amazing directors and commercials who, um, you know, trying to make the transition into into drama um, and into movies, it's 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 really challenging because there's a perception that if you're very good in one area, it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll progress in another. And and you know, it's it's frustrating because you know I it's it's great to see people being able to do that sideways step and really, you know, bring fresh eyes and a fresh approach to, to the work. Right. I think, I think that personally, my opinion on why a lot of these very successful uh, commercial directors have had a hard time, you know, getting into, into film or long form is, you know, they're working at like a high level in commercials and, I don't know if they, I don't know if you can parallel step that way into high, you know, high film from a high commercial. It's like, you kind of have to pay your dues and do something small, you know, and indie and, you know, quick. And, and I think a lot of these commercial directors, you know, there's a lot of control in, in general being a director, right? You know, and then you step into a whole format. They're already very up here on this side. It's hard for them to come back down, you know, ego gets in the way, um, you know, just, just not wanting to make sacrifices. I mean, when I did a wait list with Jaron, um, you know, we basically weren't even funded yet when we start financed yet, when we started shooting, you know, Jaron was spent a year location scouting on his own, you know, and like, we just dove right into it and had like a little bit of time, but it's like, those were the kind of the sacrifices you had to make to, to try to get a film made. And, um, and I think Absolutely. that's hard. It's hard for some people, you know, especially if they've been living, um, you know, really well in the commercial world for a while. So, no, I think you're right. I, I think that that is the case in, in, in some cases. And I think that also sort of breeds a, a perception that, um, you know, everyone will be like that. Um, mm -hmm. th there's no doubt. I think that the shock that, 
directors face when they 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 having to do their first movie and which which not always but invariably is a is a small indie movie um of getting on the phone it's like if you want these actors if you want this crew if you want these people if you want the studio to look at it you've got to get on the phone and mm -hmm. make the calls and do all the groundwork yourself and i think you're right i think you know because of the nature of commercials often there is a supportive team around the creatives that can help you know help directors really navigate all the different battles they're having to fight but once you're in, into movies you you initially certainly you're you're on your own but even mm -hmm. ongoing it's it's that you know i see even you know the directors i've worked with some of whom are extremely experienced and some who it's their first journey it, the work the buck stops at you you've got to do the work and it's it's totally. really fascinating seeing that yeah and you and i think it's where that self-discovery comes in if you're how much do you love this like how much do you really want to do it i mean you have to have the passion you know talking to a bunch of young filmmakers on film roundtable you know, we talk about that a lot. It's like, it's, if you don't, if you don't love it with like every grain of your soul, like it's just not going to, it's, it's not going to work. You know, you're going to, you're going to burn out. No, that's so true. And I think, you know, it, it applies to everyone. And I think, you know, I remember listening to Greg Fraser talk about this, like the, the fire in your belly. Mm -hmm. And I think it really is so true because it's not just about that motivation to get the project up and running because it doesn't stop there. I think what's almost more important is once, once things have gained momentum, you know, the nature of our industry and the way it works is we're confronted with problems and, and hurdles all the time, whether they're creative, logistical, political, you're just putting out fires and dealing with, situations that may not necessarily feel like they're part of the creative journey they they they're often not they they, they may be just um you know production issues or power dynamics but having that being able to stand on that solid ground of like yep this is a problem but i'm on i'm on the right path and i believe in my passion for this and i believe that you know will find the right way forward is so helpful. I, mm -hmm. I can't stress that enough in terms of when I talk to, you know, people starting out or, or you know, looking for a bit of insight into how, how the process works. It's like, you know, when the shit hits the fan, it's like just being able to, you know, be solid and, and, and just say, you know, the right thing will work out. Just got to not react because, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, especially on these bigger productions, but not exclusively, I think that, you know, there's, there's a lot of um, pressure for decisions to be made quickly and the right decision to be made, especially when there's money involved. Um, there, are, there are unhelpful pressures sometimes that may not necessarily guide you to the right creative solution. And so, you know, when I talk to people that are, that are just getting into it, I say, look, you know, and I remember cinematographer um, Huey Johnson, who I used to work 
Ellsworth always said this to me. He said, look, don't forget that you've been hired for you. You've been hired to do this job because you bring something to the table. Mm. Whatever that is, a group of people have sat down and said, we want you as a person. You must remember that because there'll be pressure to uh, go in other directions and it's, it's, you know, you're there for a reason. You're, you specifically are there for a reason. Remember that. Remember what you can offer and remember what you can bring to the table and what your creative orientation is and just stay aware of that, you know, through thick and thin, just stay aware of it. And that's not an argument for, you know, being stubborn and, and inflexible because basically it's a, it's a collaborative process but you'll be able to be more collaborative and supportive of your director and the production team if you are standing on solid ground. Mm-hmm. And that, that requires having that sort of passion inside you, that, that excitement about what your vision is, what's your vision of this. And it's not that you'll always be right. I mean, you might often be wrong, but you'll be able to step back from that if you really have a, a sound um, uh, belief in yourself and what, what you want from the project. Yeah. I mean, I think that's self-worth, you know, and self-worth is, is important in everything you do in your life. Right. I mean, if you're a father, if you're a partner and I mean, loving yourself, having self-worth, self-compassion, like creating that inside of you, you can, you can do anything. So it makes total sense to want to come to some creative endeavor with that already in place. So you're not second guessing yourself, doubting what you're doing, you know, worried what someone else is thinking, you know, which are all true emotions that happen in the film business, right? Because there's a lot of things that happen uh, very fast making a movie or a commercial. And, you know, if you're not feeling grounded in what you're doing, you could you know, you could get chipped away at a little bit. And, you know, it's, it's important to come, come to that, you know, really feeling grounded. I think you're right. I think that's so right. And, you know, as part of that, when, when you, you feel that sort of groundedness, it also allows you to, to have a light touch, you know, Mm -hmm. to have a light touch because, you know, the opposite is true, you know, when 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 the grounds are unstable, it, it puts people in a position of having to make their point um, with added conviction. And sometimes that's not entirely helpful in a in a group collaboration. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think really the greatest create certainly from my experience, the the, the greatest create creative sort of journeys have been where you know people are in sync. And the, the adjustments are sort of intuitive and, and not minor, but uh, uh, within a, a sort of a more, um, what do I want to say, a sort of organic, uh, focused sort of channel, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, when it the, flows, it flows, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, the, the, the big swings of the pendulum where, you know, the ship sort of, you know, in the storm and is, is being battered everywhere, isn't 
conducive to a great, you know, creative journey. It's mm -hmm. like, if it's a little calmer, you know, and the boat's heading with more sort of focus in one direction, then the slight adjustments you need to make are sort of are going to be more more effective, I think, and 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 more truthful to what, what your ultimate goal is. Right. Or or back to the sailing metaphor. It's like if you're in rough waters and everybody's working together to like stay afloat, you know, and that's, you know, because sometimes in film that happens all the time. Right. There's like all this stuff going on and like the core crew is like, you know, if you can stay centered and like in sync with everyone, then that, you know, you can handle the really rough patches, right? Because it's not definitely not always easy. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, so true. You're, you're right. So true. Um, can you tell me a little bit about some of your uh, film inspiration over your lifetime? Like a couple of films that really, when you watch them, like you knew deep inside, like I want to make a film like that, or. God, that that's how I want this to look, or you know, just really strong memories for you. Yeah, yeah, I can absolutely. And I think one of my first ones was, you know, as a young kid, um, going to see two thousand and one was <laughs> was a turning point because, I, you know, I wasn't really aware of cinema as a kid. I mean. Mm. I just, I just wasn't. I mean, we didn't have a cinema for a start. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like movies were like something we saw on our crappy TV that, you know, we had two channels in New Zealand when I grew up. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, as a, as a youngster, when I first went to Wellington, which is the capital. Can I interrupt you for one second? Isn't it crazy sure. to think about? that you only had two channels not that long ago only. And now it's like, I just wanted to, I just wanted to just get some perspective about it, that quick evolution That's that happened there. So but. And you know what, funnier than that, the, the, I mean, this is gonna sound like I grew up in the 1800s, but the second channel, it required one of us to get on the roof of the house and adjust the area because <laughs> the set was so bad. that if we wanted, there was a program coming up you know, at eight at night, someone had to clamber up in the dark, twist the aerial slightly to the north, right. and then signal from the living room. Like, yeah, that's okay, come back down. But uh, yeah, yeah, oh, I've just aged myself. But anyway, you um, look great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I, I so I got to go to Wellington. I guess when I, I don't even know how old I was, but I was, I must have been eight, nine, something like that, and watched two thousand and one. And I think, you know, obviously I was way before I, I had any sort of, not even technical knowledge, but any sort of understanding of what movies were. But what my take out of it was I came out of um, the cinema and I'd, I'd been to another place. I mean, I'd just, I'd been to a, another place in my psyche and emotional state and, <laughs> and, in my heart that I just didn't even know existed. Mm -hmm. And that that's really was the initial fueling because and that, that really informed mm -hmm. I think ultimately my my orientation and passion for cinema. And it was it was 
really not, uh, it wasn't so much an, a, a love of storytelling, but it was more something on a poetic level where I didn't understand what exactly had moved me, but I'd been moved by a, by a process and a medium that, that was beyond explanation, certainly at nine years old, but yeah. I, just, I felt moved and I was like, I was hooked because I was hooked into the feeling of being moved in a way that mm. I've never been moved. And, mm. you know, at that age also, you're like a sponge. You're so, um, you're so vulnerable and, and able to be influenced by things. And that then took me, uh, you know, on a particular path of, of movies that I really responded to, you know, Terence Malick's films, obviously, um, you know, Russian cinema. I mean, the, I, I, I guess I found that the fascination for me in the movies that really affected me was, was the unknown. It was the unknown combination of all the great things that inform great cinema combining to be transformative. And, you know, I think nothing's changed. I'm, I'm still totally transfixed when I go to a, a movie and I'm transported to a different place. And I'll often go with, with people who aren't in agreement, who, who may have, have different um, levels of, of connection to different types of films, but that for me is the the standard. If 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 I'm moved, and I've you know I've had endless arguments and discussions. I've, I think I've lost friendships over disagreements over mm. films, because I can come out of a film that that you know may have not received great critical acclaim and I'll, I'll something will have spoken to me mm. and you know Malik's films a few of them um speak to that and it's not that I love every one of of Malik's films without exception I just generally relate to that level of of language in cinema totally and not not that level in the sense that there's a hierarchical level but that level in, in terms of the way he communicates through that medium, it, 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 it respond, you know, that's what I respond to more than, probably more than great complex uh, plots and, and mm. you know, twists, um, you know, even great performances. You know, I, I, it's not that they're less for me it's just I want to be moved when I go to the movies and that's I know that's not original but it really is is something that's so important to me to that magic you know the, the magic of the combined elements of you know a great story of incredible music of believable performances and great characterization and and how that all merges and melds into just transporting you that, that's everything for me you know, it's stating the obvious, I know, but it's 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 that unknown, and I think that's you know I hope it's not sort of sounding pretentious and ostentatious to say that that you know it's the poetry of cinema that is important to me, but you know I think that's the only way I can sort of understand it, I guess. Well, I think that it is what you're talking about is is stories that 
you know, bring, open up the empathy in you, you know, and kind of touch you on a deeper level than just in your mind, you know, it's how, it's how your body reacts to it, you know, which is, which is like, you know, the, the mind heart, you know, um, as opposed to the cerebral aspect of it, which, you know, I, I really relate to as well. Like I, I, I love films that maybe don't have any ending, you know, and, and you really wonder about these people and where they're going and what they're doing, you know, I mean, in 2001, you, you know, by the end of it, you're like, oh my God, like what, what reality is he in right now? You know, is he, is he, you know, I mean, it's so wild. It's so funny that you said that. Cause I, we had our kids watch that film over a quarantine and, you know, my kids are 15 and 13 and they hated it so much. Wow. Hated it, hated it, hated it. But to the point that they talk about it all the time. So it's going to be one of those movies that they go back to in their 20s. And they're going to be like, oh, my God, my mom made me watch that film. And wow, like I kind of get it now. But in in the moment, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's so much other material out there now that is not like that at all, you know, and here you are a nine-year-old kid who walks into that film. And of course your mind is blown because your mind is blown. You're like, wait, is that what can happen to me? Like what's going on? You know, there's so many different layers to that film, you know, um, of where it takes you. And, you know, you're right. And it it really, you know, what, as as a (laughs) nine-year-old, what sort of experience can, can, create a sort of existential crisis for you totally. in, in terms of entertainment it's like yeah. you know, it, it, and that, that's I think that that just stayed with me but you know I think it, you're, you're so right I think it, it's sort of troubling to me because I, I have a very similar story with with my kids my younger kids um, you know I have a nine-year-old and a 13-year-old and um, just being aware of not just how much screen time they kids have now, but how that inundated with um, imagery and sound that is, is, is sort of abusive is the wrong word, but it's sort of not entirely the wrong word. Yeah, it's relentless. It's relentless, but, it, but it's, it's, it's like an attack on the senses. And I mm-hmm. think you become desensitized. So, you know, I, I felt, you know, I can't remember, I showed, I watched a film with them recently that was, I found really moving. Oh, it was the, it was the South African documentary about the um, octopus. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it. Yeah. It, I, I found it extraordinary and beautiful and just, I, I was so excited to show them because in the same way, I, I sort of thought, "Wow, this is something that that is is timeless and will appeal to everyone because it's just it's a story of great humanity and mm. connection with re- real things. You know, it's nature. It's, it's it's someone really exploring something, and they hated it same way. Mm. And I, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, I wanted to disown my own kids. I was like, How right. do you hate this? You like smart kids, and this is like beautiful, but." They, they, I think they just weren't, are just not used to having, you know, watching stuff on a screen that, that, that spoke in that language. It's like, it's like, I don't know, I guess the metaphor is, you know, if someone's used to 
you know, hearing someone speak English to them and communicate them with in English or a certain language. And then one day, you know, you just start speaking, you know, Swahili or German mm. or, you know, French to them. It's going to look at you blankly. It's like, I don't get mm. it. What's, what are you, what are you saying? And the, the, it's, I know it's an extreme analogy, but in a way, I think there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a part of that, that that's true. It's like, um, you know, what, and this is this really speaks to the big well not a bigger question but a, a parallel question about our, our movies and you know how much you know is how 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 much of our visual entertainment are these these sort of shows now which are you know um heavy hitting sort of uh, moments of of entertainment, they you know the 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 loss of nuance and and subtlety and not you know and a lot of cinema is 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 you know in my mind is is a shame and I understand that you know I mean ultimately the film industry is a business and you know a lot of the the trajectory of our industry, you know, it's, it's got to make money. It's got to, it's got to be viable. Mm. Um, but, you know, really also cinema is an art and art has the power to, you know, transcend and transform people. And it's, it's a separate thing. It's like, we need to separate and, and really try and uh, keep alive the, the part of the industry that maybe, isn't so financially sort of sturdy, you know. It's, it's, I think it's really important. It's an art form. And, and this is what is, you know, culturally so important to, to maintain. So, you know, again, just informs, you know, for me, a, a real desire to stay connected and do everything I can to support more independent sort of work and be involved in it. Um, mm. You know, the, the smaller footprint project yeah and especially after this moment in time we've had right i mean the the amount of stories that i'm sure are going to need to be told you know in in the next coming years after this experience you know and and most of those stories aren't going to be able to be told on a on a large scale right um they're going to probably have to be told on a small scale and mm. i think that that is so important for us as a society to hear those stories and hear all of the experiences of this like, you know, worldwide collective pause that's been going on for a, almost a year now. And, and the beauty yeah. that's come out of it, the suffering that's come out of it, you know, how we connect with our, you know, fellow humans and, and what they've gone through, you know, in, in a way that isn't just reading the stupid 24 hour a day news cycle, you know, it's, it's really hearing how people are expressing their voices to, to uh, feel into what their experiences were. And, and so it's going to be interesting to see how the business adjusts to that or doesn't, um, you know, in the coming years, while, while, while people are, you know, needing to heal and, and talk about what they've gone through. So I, you know, I hope that that, all those stories or a lot of them can find their place, you know, where, where we can, 
we can hear about what's been happening. I, 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 no, I agree. And I think that, that you know, you're, you're right. When you just think about the last year, I mean, if, <laughs> if I was someone with, uh, you know, some resources to make a, a few movies now, there's limitless <laughs> potential for unbelievable totally. stories. I mean, yeah. unbelievable. I mean, limitless numbers on every possible level and every genre and every type. You think the in every country. Sort of <laughs> in every country. I mean, yeah. limitless, you know, just think about it, you know. And then, and then the South African variant came along. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, you can't, you, you can't write this stuff. It's you cannot write any of it. Collectively. Yeah. Over the last year. I mean, politically, it's, 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 be, I mean, if someone had pitched, you know, this is a, as, as a movie. Year, right. We laughed out of the yeah. meeting. I mean, yeah. you think about it on so many levels, but there you go, you know. I know, just even thinking about it, like in the last month or so since the end of December came and like the beginning of January and coming up into a year, like I've spent, I spent a lot of time like pausing and being like, oh my God, a year ago, this was just not even anything on my radar. Like I never in a billion years would have I thought we'd been in this place. And that's really wild to think and reflect on where you were a year ago, like we, we, every year I always write a letter to myself from um, the, at the end of the year for the following year about, you know, just kind of things I want to release, things I want to bring into my life and wowza. And so I got the whole family to do it this year, like everybody write, you know, so they can go back and look at it the following year. But it's really, you know, it's been a wild freaking ride. Um, and it's, and it's yeah, <laughs> and it's also just a real, you know, visual of the shift in the paradigm. That's like, you know, when they look back in the uh, history books, you know, of how much in evolution and just in the overall shift of the world we're living in, like this is this is kind of where it began, you know, it wasn't exactly where it began, but this is like a real visual of like, oh, wow, <laughs> a lot started to shift then, you know? Um, yeah. And that's really, yeah, it's a lot, it's heavy. It's a lot of stuff. Lot. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you, um, like, what are you hoping for yourself in the future as far as filmmaking? Like, what would you, what are you working on? What, what would you like to be doing now that we've had this big shift? <laughs> How do you want to, you know, what stories do you want to be telling? Um, I think in some sense, not much has changed. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm keen to do as much, you know, story-based work as I can. Um, I mean, you know, like really human stories. I know that that doesn't really sound, uh, doesn't articulate very well uh, my desires, but I think, um, you know, as I was saying, a, a push to do more independent work. I, I think I feel, you know, hugely lucky to, to work in a range of different genres and scales you know I've, I've really enjoyed over the last couple of years doing a bit more documentary work um 
I'm currently uh, starting to hope to start a small independent move in in a few weeks. Or so, um, and I think that's that's great. That's that's really what I love. Um, so you know, push push the boundaries a little. I um, it was really interesting. I, I just did a, a short writing course recently because I I became really aware of my desire to understand the material I was reading and and working on to a better degree and and that's been just such a fascinating um, exploration um, you know just just to to really appreciate really what the writer's world is and the and the and the journey to to get a screenplay together and have it coherent and you know make sense and also tickle the the boxes required of the writers often on a lot of projects it's um it was, i felt really pleased to have to have put a bit more energy into exploring that um i you know, really made me appreciate their work and the director's work more. And, and that also, I think, ultimately um, helps me as a cinematographer be a better collaborator too. And I think that stands for really everyone in, in the industry to, to understand a little bit more of the role of the people you're working with. You can be more useful to them and you mm. can certainly do your work better, you know. And I think that's one thing is is really important to me. It's really to to push, you know, the, the boundaries a bit of what I'm able to contribute because I, I I find there's a lot of talk, you know, especially with cinematographers and in our world, there's a lot of technical talk and a lot of excitement. You know, there's great, huge advantages of technology and there's all sorts of really exciting stuff happening. But sometimes the, the focus on the technical talk can take your eye off the ball a bit. And the ball is the story and, and the, the creator, what, what, what ideas you're bringing to your work as a creative. That's really the key. And sometimes the, 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 the emphasis on technicals can, can hide or, or bury that a little. Um, it's like, you know, the, the analogy I use, it's like, you know, getting excited about the map. It's like, it is good to get excited about the map. It's, it's you know, that's, that's your, your way of viewing the world, but it's the territory that's really of interest. You know, it's what, what's out there, what, what can you bring to it? And, you know, it, I think that's, that's an important thing for me. It, it's like, you know, the technical side will be able to take care of it, not take care of itself, but will be able to take care of itself in the sense that you'll get there and there are people that will help you um, with that stuff. But don't get too caught up in it if you're not, you know, if you're not like totally focused in that area. Your, your energy, you, you have a certain amount of creative energy and the, the key is to channel that energy in the right direction, I think. Um, and and use it in in a you know because our industry is really collaborative. Use it in a in a helpful way, and you know help really help your director and 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 the team 
you know, get to the best place you all can as a, as a group. Yeah. Um, so and I think that's supporting a, yourself with, if you don't have that technical side to yourself, supporting yourself with crew who does, you know, that you can lean on for those sorts yeah, of things. Yeah, absolutely. And it's there and things are changing so quickly too. And I think it sometimes creates a lot of pressure for, especially, you know, if you're starting out, maybe that's not your comfort zone. Mm. And there's a lot of discussion, a lot of discussion online about technique, technicals and technique. And it's great. It's exciting, but it's really a resource. It's not like, it's not the ultimate guide. You know, the, the thing is to, to, to be in tune with, you know, what the story needs. Um, and I think it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's analogous to really what's happening in a lot of society now where, you know, style over content is, is seen often as a, as having a higher cachet. It's like, you know, because it's so hard to, to or put it this way, it's often challenging for really important stories to be told or, or original things to be, uh, original stories to be told. It's, you know, the, 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 the emphasis on, on style, maybe indirectly, is, becomes more important. And it's, you know, that's something just to be, I guess, just to be mindful of a little, you know. Sorry, I muted myself. Um, yeah, I think that it's a just, it brings up a point of just also that it is a collaborative, you know, uh, art filmmaking and and that it's okay to not know absolutely everything you know and to to bring your strengths forward and and then have the people you know support have support from the people around you you know which is which I think is really not making yourself feel like you've got to do everything and, and and control it all like instead you can you know you you can lean on other people because yeah. they're all there for the same purpose. I think you're right. And, and you know, certainly the, you know, creative people I've worked with who I've really admired and respected, you know, directors and designers and, you know, costume designers, producers, you know, people that really, in whatever creative contribution they're making, the ones I see that are really successful, and I, I don't mean successful in the, in the conventional sense of, of being um, acknowledged from others, but really truly successful, the ones that are open about the fact they don't know everything and, mm -hmm. and are willing to reach out and listen to everyone's input and aren't threatened or, again, going back to that earlier point, aren't, aren't necessarily banging that drum too loud, uh, but open so they can, from a position of, intuition can say yes yeah I like that no it's not quite right for what we're trying to achieve uh look help me I, this is what I want to do but I just don't know how to get there they, they're really relevant conversations for everyone to have you know you you it's really important to I think to be able to say comfortably hey I've got an idea but it's not well formed you know 
can you help me? Can you can you help me get there? I don't even know if it's a good idea, but it just feels right. I think for creatives to be able to say that is is important. And again, I think sometimes we we're under pressure to to have all the answers mm-hmm. you know, immediately. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> but um, I think um, that's something you know. Again, as I was saying, you know that. Uh, the people I find that are the comfortable, most comfortable with the process are, are okay with that, you know. And, and I think, you know, I'm speaking a lot about, you know, a lot of the directors I work with who are just great, you know, helps them get to that point of their ultimate creativity, you know. Yeah, I think it's very important to be vulnerable, you know, and, and people look at vulnerability as uh, like a weakness and it actually is a really great, uh, personality uh, trait, you know, to be able to have confidence enough to be vulnerable. And that's how some of the best ideas come about, right? I mean, I I feel like I spent so much of my career like swallowing my ideas because, you know, I was working with mostly men or, you know, I just didn't feel confident enough. And, you know, but I had great ideas and it's, you know, it's so much of time is wasted being that way. It's really much um, more productive and fulfilling when you say things that you might think sound stupid, but that's how you kind of get to a place where you can create more, you know, more expansively, I guess. Mm, totally. Um, I totally agree. I think, I think that's a, that's a, you know, it's sort of lesson in life, really. Right. It's, it's, um, you know, you know, you know it's right because you know how how much better you feel when you can say, "Hey, I don't know," and you you can feel comfortable. You know, imagine like if you go back to when you were a teenager or a kid or a young adult, and to really be able to say, "I don't know," was feels challenging. You know, it feels challenging, and I think um, I don't know when I the more I sort of come to come to a better place in my creative journey and being able to go you know I just don't know I really don't know and it's not I don't know it doesn't mean I'm stupid it doesn't mean I don't care it means you know there's there's a really good there's a really good version of I don't know which is just you know like you say it's just being open because you're opening you're opening a creative tap at that point because you're you're not letting your your inhibitions or your lack of self-worth block that channel which is the creative channel which is not and when i say the creative channel i don't mean like as a filmmaker limited to that i mean your your creative sort of life channel of being you know the best best version of yourself you can be which sounds very deep certainly (laughs) So apologies for that. No, it's good. I think that these, you know, it's important to kind of think into this stuff when you're building a career, especially or or in it. You know, um, you know, just it's it's important to be yourself and and uh, and speak when you need to speak and you know express yourself. So I think right. it's I think it's important. Um, I have a question, like how, how do you 
can like how do you establish a relationship with the directors that you work with obviously lots of different personalities there so i'm sure knowing you you kind of um chameleon into situations you know on how what kind of person you're working with but do you do you have things as a dp that are standard for when you start a project with someone like i never come to work before 12 and no, no yeah <laughs> you don't get out of bed for less than 10k a day <laughs> no i i um yeah i guess there's two aspects to that i think you know from initial meetings it, it's interesting to gauge um you know different directors you know no two directors are the same no two anyone is the same but certainly in terms of what a director um would like you to bring to the table and what their process is and you know what they need of you is is always changing and to quite a marked degree that's been something that's really fascinated me and has, has been something I've really been interested in. Um, and I think really, without going into too much explicit detail, I think the most useful thing I could say in it is, you know, the stage one is, you know, as we were saying earlier, is just be yourself. I mean, be really, really, especially if you're going into a challenging project, really be honest about, even before you go into a meeting, like, who you are, understand what you're able to bring to it. And then when you meet a director, you know, it's 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 interesting just to be as as, as open as you can because A, you work out of, you know, it may be that you're not compatible. And it's better to find out that you're not compatible, you know, and it may be through no, you know, probably through no one's fault. But it's better to find out that you're not compatible before you jump into a process with someone that can be, you know, very, very intense experience. Um, and I've just found that, that that's the best rule because ultimately, uh, you know, pretending is really tough. I mean, it's really hard work to pretend and to pretend for weeks and, you know, months on end is really really tough i think and um you it's just you're not you're not honoring your your own journey um so i think in terms of answering that question the trust comes from that really um because you know people people sense when you're you're being yourself and 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 being yourself can be you know being very vocal about what works for you what doesn't um but I think, as I said before, if you're if you're feeling comfortable about where you're standing in a certain situation, you're able to tread lightly. And treading lightly is important for that trust to build. Um, you know, it enables the voices to be a bit more subdued and have a bit more power. You know, everyone's voices in the process. And that I think ultimately that's where you want to be you know with with the voices down a few notches on the volume only because it's well not only because it's a more fun and more pleasant the process but it allows the creativity to to bubble up the better ideas you know i don't i think it's very rare i've, I've worked in pretty toxic 
um, creative environments, uh, a few, and, and people don't function well. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I learned that sort of late with myself in terms of working under people who just had toxicity as part of their sort of makeup for whatever reason. Um, you know, I grew up in that sort of environment a little. So I think it was familiar to me when I went to work and we're working with people like that, but it, it wasn't great for me. I, it was sort of, it was, um, a sort of weird psychological thing that I, I you know, probably need a few more years of analysis to work it out. But, but basically I was there and it didn't work for me. And I then realized in, in the past, I'd been like that sometimes too, you know, you pass that mm. on. And I was like, this is, just not, this is not great for, you know, anyone. And um, so, yeah, be, be, you know, be yourself and be, be open and honest and, you know, avoid toxic situations <laughs> or at least avoid the, you know, help, help to deconstruct the potential for that to build. Because I think, you know, as we've seen this year, even politically, that the ability for, for uh, negativity and um, sort of, uh, negative forms of tribalism to 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 grow up is is just not great working together and you know in a positive way is always better finding common ground even when there's disagreement so important even if you know that you might it might not be a a, a blissful journey or perfect it's better to find the common ground than than stand in your camp and defend it you know against someone that's just not going to agree with you. I think that's not conducive to good, a good creative process. Yeah, because then it just becomes cyclical. You know, it's, it's like violent communication happening, you know, again and again, as opposed to approaching someone in a more nonviolent way. And then that comes back, you know, people are feeling heard. And, and I think that's, that's very important in this business is, you know, trying to really feel into when someone's like activating you uh, in a certain way and responding back um, in the opposite way, you know, like they're being heard and then you're saying what you need to say and and then you can come to much more of a common ground quicker. Uh, and that's not always easy on a film set because things are, you know, happening quickly, but I think it, it really helps, um, uh, you know, neutralize situations when that that's a good book to read nonviolent communication, by the way, <laughs> for, okay. for probably right. many people on set. Um, right. It's great. Uh, <laughs> no, you're right. I, I, I agree. I agree. And it's, it's, you know, it's such a useful sort of thing to apply in our industry, you know, with, with, you know, the, the pressures the, the as you say, you know, it's, it's a lot of pressure and it's, um, mm you know, filtering out that unnecessary stuff, so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's like, we're not in a life or death situation business, you know? It's really, we're here for entertainment and to honestly, you know, 
heal because these stories are healed. You know, when people get their stories out, that's medicine right there. And it's interesting how quickly it can turn into very volatile, you know, not so friendly situations. And, you know, it's like everybody kind of needs to take a step back and have some perspective, which I'm sure this year has offered many people, um, you know, I know for sure it's offered many people like, hey, I don't, I don't really want to be involved with that person anymore, or I'm never going to take a project like that anymore, or I'm not going to be away from my family for that long. You know, I mean, lots of really positive um, awakenings have happened in this past year. So it'll be interesting to see how the studios and find, you know, how everybody adapts to that. And, you know, the problem is we're still, you know, in a bit of a hamster wheel in this world, as far as like making money, living lifestyles, you know, all of that. So there's always seems to be people who will take a job if somebody else won't, but maybe it's the beginning to a shift of how um, we all want to exist in the world, you know, and not, and not be like constantly racing around and, and not enjoying where we are in the moment, you know, and, and I, that's just so important. And so much of like the lessons I've been learning lately is just really sitting with feeling really good and having my body remember what that feels like. And then when I'm in situations, I know much quicker when I'm like, okay, I don't, this doesn't feel good, you know, or wow, this feels really good. How come I've never really enjoyed this moment before in time, you know, <laughs> um, why was I always rushing to do something else when this was like fully blissed out moment, you know, of like simplicity. And, um, you know, those are the things I would love to see like people in this business, um, you know, wake up to, you know, I think, I think so much more creativity can come out of that. You know, if we're, if we're working from that space, um, as opposed to like a panic space or, a you know, so. I think you're right. I think there's, I, I, I think there, there is, happening and will continue to happen a sort of paradigm shift like that because ultimately these sort of changes I think start subtly you know in terms of you know the, the, the direction changes and obviously totally. there's been a huge catalyst for the direction to change mm -hmm. but as as you know we see that there's better ways of working and and kinder ways of working and and ways that are gentler on your family and your your time you know our, our industry is a little archaic or has been mm -hmm. in terms of you know sort of hours we've been working and really without without real really acknowledgement i mean it, you can understand it i mean it's 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 even you could even argue that in some sense it's justifiable because you know it's a it's a crazy industry where there's just so many variables and and very intense and there's a lot of money at stake sometimes and you, you you can see why we fall into these traps but when you think you know in this day and age that that the the the, the time commitment you know the time required for you to be away from your family without real support for a lot of mm. people is huge and you know mm -hmm. listen it's an amazing privilege and a huge opportunity i'm not saying you know, look, you don't have to do it. You could do, it's, it's just, 
it's it's just been an industry I think that could really benefit from more support in mm-hmm. many ways for, for the individuals for everyone working in it you know mm-hmm. because it, it's just better and there's no reason for it not to be like that I mean there's just no yeah. reason not to be like that we need to look after our people and their families and and create like communities because it's also it's just nice it's more fun it's and it's creatively it's going to pay off it'll pay dividends mm. people feel looked after and i think yeah i think it's that's important yeah and i and i think it's you know hopefully i mean right now we live in a, a world that's so built on making money right and more money and more money and more money that all of this scaffolds that and and the trickle down is so minimum you know minimal um from who's making the money and, and who isn't, you know? Uh, it's interesting. Um, I went to India, I lived in Asia for two years in the nineties and I spent a lot of time in India. And one of my um, big takeaways from India was how there was really no middle class then, right? You had this really, really wealthy, wealthy, wealthy class and then poverty and nothing really in between. And then I went back to India in 2013, I think, to, f- to film for a month. And in that time span of, I don't know if it was 15 years, 20 years about, um, maybe a little less, but there had become a middle class, like full on middle class there, because that in that time period, a lot of people started um, uh, output, you know, like out. Uh, what do they call that? Outsourcing, outsourcing jobs to places like India from the U.S., right, and probably China too. And um, so, like, telemarketers were from India. You know, there was lots of animation happening in India. Like, there was a whole thing. And um, so that that society completely changed in a short, really short period of time. Which really, like, I was like, wow. Um, and it's almost like the opposite is happening here in America. You know the the disparity between the very wealthy and the very poor is is huge. There are a lot more people living underneath the poverty level and fewer in between who are able to like make ends meet anymore because, you know, for a number of reasons, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but, but so I think that it's, um, it's, it's, interesting to me uh, making that observation of like what's happening over time in this country compared to maybe some other countries and how we're kind of going backwards <laughs> and uh when when is that gonna like it will take generations for it to shift back but it just you know the film business is one of the oh yeah and hopefully not generations i mean i think sometimes for for change to happen you know you you have to go to the extreme to one end and i think that's been one of the huge you're right one of the huge realizations of this um this year is that rather than what people would have hoped um a, a sort of collective enemy uh would create a sense of unity it has to some degree in in small areas, but this this disparity is really, really a thing, a huge thing. And I think you're right. It's it's that's going to I hope, you know, be addressed, be forced to be addressed sooner rather than like yeah. it has to be. So um, that just brings me to the question about diversity and inclusivity on film sets. Um, and 
you know, do you, have you been thinking about that at all of like how to be more inclusive on film sets or in your crews or, um, I mean, it's, it's hard because obviously people um, that we want to diversify with have never really been given an opportunity to, to move up in, in, you know, the ladder of, of the film hierarchy to even be, you know, grips or electrics or prop people, you know, I mean, um, at least in the United States. And so I'm just uh, something I think about a lot in all of my shoots. Um, you know, I'm always, always, always trying to get the most diverse crew possible. And it's just so crazy how sometimes how hard it is. Like, it yeah. is so hard, especially if yeah. you're if you're shooting in places where, you know, there really isn't diversity at all, you know, which exists a lot of places in America. Yeah. And we, I'm sure we, in Australia and New Zealand too, you know. Absolutely. No, we we've been paying the price, you know, and you know, the industry's been paying the price for being so closed and you know it's it's great to see that's being addressed um and it's even better to see that the results of that you know slowly but surely being addressed is just this explosion of new talent and mm -hmm. and great minds and you know people that you know horrifyingly were you know some of whom might not have had an opportunity it's just it, it's it's mind-boggling to think how you know backward our industry's been um so yeah i'm 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 pleased it is slow it's slowly changing too slow but at least there is some change in the right direction and you know i feel like i'm just starting to see um that situation being being the beginning of it being addressed and mm -hmm. benefits are there and speak for themselves, for the industry as a whole, you know, I, I, I sort of, I find it, you know, pretty depressing to think how, um, as an industry, we, you know, we've been so, so backward for so long, but, it, you know, it's being addressed and it's, you know, there's, there's all sorts of teething troubles and reactions and, 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 negativity sometimes as well and i think that's inevitable when there are big sort of shifts but you know uh we, we've got momentum in the right direction and that's mm -hmm. important mm -hmm. it's important and i th i think people have we're going to have a couple of roundtables coming up that talk about these um these mentorship programs that are are coming up one uh, one in Georgia, this organization in California called Media Alliance. Um, Ethan Tobin, the production designer, has started one called Hollywood Pipeline, and um, right. you know just how much work it takes, and how you know it's not you know you can't just pick someone up who's interested in film and and plop them into the the business as an as an intern. You know, I mean, there's a lot of scaffolding that's involved. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's, I think that people, people are hopefully going to start to learn a little bit more about how, how much effort needs to go into, you know, to, to starting 
teaching kids, you know, and whether they're in high school, um, you know, about this work and how to keep jobs and how to, you know, finding out what their, what their interest is and that, you know, you don't really need, you know, a lot of people are attracted to like, oh, I want to be an actor or a director or a, you know, a writer that, you know, it's really hard. Not everybody's going to be that as, as we know, you know, and how, how do we teach skills to people at a young age that can maybe um, incite interests into areas that um, they might've not, not, as thought of before, you know, maybe they're really build, good at building things or they love working. You know, most people on a film set, most people who don't work on film sets might not even realize they're carpenters, like on a set, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, most people don't really know the structure of a, of, of, of the pyramid, you know, and how these things get made, you know, who know, mm -hmm. you know, how, how many people know what a grip is, you know, but there could be a million people out there who are really great at like, rigging things or MacGyvering things or coming up with like really clever things for that, you know? I think in one of the issues, you know, this, the fact, the sort of meritocratic sort of element of the industry has always been seen as a sort of badge of honor. You know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, you work really hard and you'll be the one pick, but you know, it's, it's moot because the problem is if you're, if you're keeping out a whole, part of the community if historically mm. you know that option hasn't you know you you the whole system's undermined anyway and and you you you're you're failing on every level because you know great it's fine to say yeah the best person will get the job if if if, if the if you're saying the best person will get the job and your your pool is already a very limited type and number of people you're, that's an issue in itself, but also the system can't work like that because by helping everyone rise to the top, you're, that's what's required. I mean, that's what, what, what has to happen. And it serves everyone at that point. It serves the industry and it serves, you know, the people that are, are working and serves the people that have been excluded you know it's it's a win all around and i think you know as i said i think i think we're going you know our industry is pretty archaic as i said in, in many areas and you know there's progress but you know there's very entrenched sort of attitudes and ways of thinking and i think um it's part of a, a bigger shift you know that incorporates all the sort of stuff of, of you know, working in a in a more um, human way, you know, the way the work system is and, and the way it, it needs to be more inclusive, the way it needs to be more supportive. Um, these are all things that are, need to be addressed and, and slowly but surely are, I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think what you say about you know, helping everyone around us, even those who are very different from us in our communities rise to the top benefits everyone, you know? And I think that's, that's what a lot of people don't realize, you know, they don't realize that even those who we might not, um, you know, interact with very much or, 
or whatnot. And I'm talking like on a global scale too. I mean, the, you know, the more we, we, we all try to have the same goal uh, in the end, the better off we're all going to be. Um, yeah. So. It's absolutely yeah. true. It's, you know, finally we're, we're, we're getting there, I think, slowly. Mm -hmm. um, all right. Well, I want to ask, uh, it's, we've been talking for like an hour and a half. So we'll, um, want to ask like, what, have you been watching anything lately? I mean, it's such a weird time to try to watch movies, um, not being able to go to the cinema, but I'm sure like me, you're getting a lot of screeners or things online. Have you, have you watched anything that's come out this year that you really want to flag or really felt strongly about? Yeah. Watch Burden. Mm. Um, I won't say anything more than that. <laughs> I have that. I have that screener. Who, who did that? I didn't. Um, now you're putting me on the spot. Oh, okay. Um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I literally just want it's. I feel absolutely um, embarrassed. I should. Oh, look. Yeah. yeah. But it's, um, it, it, it's so, um, it's just speaks to everything we've been talking about but you know particularly a certain sort of dynamic in in society at the moment politically you know racially um it's a historical film but wow it was, it was oh is so it with forrest whitaker that's it yeah See, and, okay yeah so it's andrew heckler yeah that's right yeah he did it um terrific terrific film um uh so you know just uh, you know a comment on society humanity and, mm. and you know, our failings really and successes and really tremendously moving powerful film um the extraordinaries with vincent casal is mm. great mm. uh, great you know film about two social workers in Paris. And it's just, you know, you watch these films and you think, God, it's like, I I can sort of imagine pitching that film, like mm. someone pitching it in Hollywood and just, I can imagine the reaction that would have had because the premise mm, is not that something down. that feels like, uh, you know, uh, easily, popular material, accessible material, but it's right. um, oh, terrific film. I, um, um, I've also been revisiting um, the films of um, Andre uh, Zieg, I always get his name wrong, Zieg, Ziegentretsev, Ziegentretsev. Mm -hmm. Is he Russian? Um, Russian, yeah, who did, most people know his film Leviathan from a few years uh -huh. ago, yeah. three years ago. All his films are unbelievable. I mean, just fantastic and mm. really speak to the power of cinema. They're all very different stylistically, but mm. great, great films. Um, you know, amazing number of really diverse, interesting things going on at the moment. And, you know, obviously in, in television, there's just great stuff, really stuff mm. going on. Um, did you have a favorite show this year? Like a favorite series? If did you watch anything, um, binge watch anything? Yeah, there's. Do I have a 
favourite? Um, uh, yeah, a few, a few. Um, I'm actually, I've just got into um, Queen's Gambit. That's so good. Great. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Um, God, I've got so many recently. Um, uh, Sam Levinson's um, project, um, Euphoria, is just mind-blowing. Um, mm. Just uh, loved it, loved, loved, loved it. Um, Succession is terrific. Mm. Like Mark that. likes that a lot, yeah. Um, what else? Oh, a few things. Uh, yeah, watch the last dance over the last few nights, which mm, has been great. It's beautiful, yeah. Yeah. Have, did you watch News of the World? Not yet. Not yet. I That's really fun. liked that a lot. I thought that it was so relevant to what exactly is going on right now, which I found so wild since they made the movie not, I mean, it was during Trump, obviously, but not during this past year. Um, yeah, it was just, I thought it was really right. well done, but I, I like, I, I think Paul Greengrass is a really interesting filmmaker and Derek shot that. We just had Derek and, um, Derek Walski and Billy, the editor from that, uh, film right. on the round, a round table together, uh, like the last two weeks or so, uh, because sure. they, yeah, it's an interesting round table and I watched, so I haven't watched a lot at all because I really don't watch television much at all, except if I get stuck watching something with my kids, which lately is, well, my son is all Marvel. Like we just watched Marvel again and again. I want to shoot myself, but, um, but he's so into it and he loves it. And he has like a Marvel encyclopedia that he just knows everything. So I'm, I'm wow. totally there with him, but um, I, just watched Promising Young Woman last night, oh, yeah. which is Carrie Mulligan, the director's oh, name. It's her oh. first feature. Her name is Emerald. I can't remember her last name, Fairling maybe. And that, it's a gender bender. It is, it's good. I, I really, really liked it a lot. And I won't give anything away, but I found myself at the end of it, wanting to, wanting to criticize it a little bit for certain things. And I found that was like the point of the whole movie, you know, it really was like making a point about men in society and this, in the patriarch and all of that. And, and how we're all so, um, we're all so patterned or like, to, to question when, when something is so one way, I don't know. I don't know if I can explain it correctly, but anyway, I highly recommend it. It's very, very, yeah, very interesting. Great. And she is fantastic in it. Like she's, she's so good. She is great. And I haven't seen her in anything in a while. Um, oh. And she was, I just thought so great. Oh, fantastic. So I'll look yeah. That. So that great. one's good. And then I haven't really watched much of anything else, um, but I have a million screeners. So eventually I'll get into some of them, but. Yeah, there's, there's like 5,000 movies up for Oscars this year. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because it's such a different way to watch things. Like normally I'll go to the, 
cinema to see what I really want to see. And then I'll watch the screener of something else that I maybe didn't get a chance to see. And then I make a point to go to the film, you know, go to the cinema and see those on big screen. And now it's just so weird watching everything on the TV or on the yeah, computer. Yeah, it doesn't feel crazy. I just, I, I can't yeah. wait for that, that moment where we'll be able to, you know, go back in. I think there's just going to be this huge, massive collective desire to do things as a, as a community, as a group. Mm -hmm. And can't wait that that feeling of rushing to the cinema and being able to experience a movie with a group of people it feels like it's going to be such a, a treat and and something that's been missed and and is you know we're going to be able to celebrate in such a positive way yeah for sure all right well thank you so much for joining us today thank you really great conversation yeah, as always enjoyed. yeah um yeah <laughs> zephyr's zephyr's like down in the kitchen now he's like all right mom yeah, food. I'm let's hungry. finish it finish it up <laughs> um but yeah so thank you so much and as always really great talking to you Thanks, and Aaron. yeah let me know how uh it feels to be free tomorrow I will. I will. Yeah. So I'm very fortunate. <laughs> Keep you posted. Yeah. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Take care. Bye. 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 Do you use this to cut bread?